Mark Sayers is uh, an Australian pastor, and he wrote the book that we sort of stole the title of this teaching series from. He says that we are in a gray zone. Uh, another writer, Alan Hurst, says we are in a period of time that could be called liminality. And if you like studying change and all of that kind of stuff, they're good to read. The point of the gray zone is that we're not where we were and we're not where we're going to be. And what that has fostered, as we all are experiencing, is anxiety. That in the middle of liminality, the most reasonable response emotionally is the sense of anxiety, not knowing that what we once were and once had, we no longer are or have. What we will be, we're not sure. What we will have, we're not sure. So we are all you know, properly humanly anxious in the middle of all of that. And these are not the only people pointing these things out. So Jordan Peterson, if you follow him, is ominously speaking in Canadian context about um, the period that we're in and how bad it's going to be afterwards. And every time I listen to one more of his podcasts, I get more and more depressed and more and more fascinated by the guy, right? What people have sought to do um, as long as we have understood that we're in a process of great change, they have sought to coach us about how to get through that change and to get rid of our anxiety. So there was a, a rabbi actually called Friedman, I think um, Andrew referred to him, and he did a lot of work on getting through this period of anxiety and he likened the posture that we need to take to the posture that pioneers needed to take. Or to Captain Kirk, you know, space, the new frontier. And Friedman proposed that we are facing a future that is like the frontier. Um, Sayers, when he reflected on Friedman's work, said that there was this gnawing feeling in him that Friedman was actually anxious. <laughs> that even in identifying and trying to coach people's way through, he was actually just surfacing more and more of his own anxiety. And so Sayers is proposing that we as followers of Jesus um, need to do better, need to think better, uh, need to be better about managing this period of the gray zone, of change, of liminality. And we are seeking ways to become more non-anxious or less anxious, we put more simply. We're going to talk about disciplines and how important they have been in the Christian church. Um, disciplines like rules of life, like processes, like um, habits, because we know the things we need to know, I believe, but we haven't been good at putting them into practice. We haven't been good at actually discipling people not just learning the Christian faith, but living the Christian faith, living the joy and the peace, um, the non-anxiousness that Jesus has prepared for us. So I'm, I'm going to take you back this morning um, to something that may not seem pertinent, but I think it really will seem to be pertinent as we get through. Have you ever taken on something more than you bargained for? It's happened to me so many times. Um, a while ago, I fancied myself able to speak French. 
I agreed to do a conference in Gabon in French and counsel with church leaders in French till I got there and this lovely young German woman who was um, spending her time in Gabon um, listened to me speaking French and she said, do you want me to translate for you? Yep. I mean, a German speaker is telling me she's going to translate my French into proper French. So I have always taken on more than I bargained for. I have bitten off more than I could chew. This is the core of our sinfulness. And this is a very positive spin on a very negative truth. We have all bitten off more than we can chew. The reason we are anxious is we got it wrong at the start, and we still get it wrong trying to find our way through this period of, of liminality. So let me propose a couple of things to you about that. The result of sin is moral and ethical misbehavior. If, if we just talk to people on the street and say, what is sin? What sort of things might they tell us? Sin is... Nobody knows? Sin is lying. Sin is stealing. stealing murdering. murdering. Definitely murdering, right? <laughs> um, we, we generally go to behavior as the explanation of sin. And behavior is the result of sin. It's not the cause of sin. And what I want to propose this morning is that the root of sin is actual human autonomy. Um, and when we seek to bring the gospel to a culture that is post-Christian, post-whatever, um, they hear us telling them that, that they do things that aren't right. And we are usually then pretty anachronistic because what we think is right and wrong belongs back in the 1900s. And they're saying, your message has no relevance to me. If what you mean is I have to change the way I live my life, um, you judge me just by your presence, just by what I know you believe about me. And then we have nowhere to go. That conversation becomes you know, kind of frustrating because we're talking about the wrong thing. The root of sin is not what we do. The root of sin is the human desire to be autonomous from God. So let, let me show you how that was described in the scriptures. Um, this is Eve talking to the talking snake, and she says this, God has said, you shall not eat from it. The snake had asked if they could eat anything in the garden. She said, you should not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When we think about what the woman did, we tend to wonder about what the fruit was. Was it an apple, a pomegranate? And the, the eating the fruit, we kind of construe as the act of rebellion. The act of rebellion in the garden was the woman giving in to the lie from the serpent that she could become like God. That is the core of our sinfulness. We have a desire to be like God. 
We desire to replace God as the master of our destiny, the master of our lives. We have succumbed to the lie that Lucifer himself believed when at the very beginning of things he said, I'm going to go up into heaven and I'm going to become like God. I'm going to take God's spot. I'm going to take God's throne. And God said, no, you're not. And then threw him down, you know, in a series of steps down. But his sin, the serpent's sin, Satan's sin, Lucifer's sin, um, was not in what he did or didn't do ultimately. It was in this fundamental rebellion that said, God will not be the Lord of this universe. I will. We have followed in that lie ever since. And when we try to, to make our way through a period of liminality, a period of, of gray zone, a period of great change, we do our level best to get through it with our human resources, right? And no matter how many times we do this, no matter how many challenges we face, we muster the best strength we possibly can. But we do it all the while continuing to defy God as the actual sovereign leader of his universe. Uh, we do it um, unintentionally because we have learned so much about living that we are the kings of our own kingdoms and this sort of thing. Now we find ourselves in a culture in the West that is basically, um, we will elevate anybody who can do something brilliant. Uh, if it's good, that's great. If it's not so good, we're still pretty much in awe of that person because they have done the American dream, right? They have, they have gone as pioneers into the wilderness, to the West, and they have overcome all the obstacles, no matter what kind of damage they have done along the way, no matter the number of people they displaced, the number of people whose cultures were robbed, whose languages were taken away. No, no matter all of that... Um, we find something in us that admires the person who successfully battles the gray zone and gets through on the other end, no matter how he or she did it. And God is horrified by that posture. He's horrified by our willingness to let human, even the best of human ideas, be presented as the way through, the way to the solution. And how many times do we have to find ourselves in a bigger and bigger mess than we ever were in before, um, before we finally say, you know what, we cannot fix this. And actually, to tell the truth, we don't want to fix this. We can't, but we really don't want to, because if fixing it means that we have to submit to God, um, we're not quite willing to do that. That's the stuff of our sinfulness. And I challenge you, if, if there's something that you're trying to work through or struggle through in your life, go back to the question about how you view God's role in your dealing with that situation. Um, Andrew talked to us about not having two masters and um, the claim of Jesus Christ to be Lord and the journey of the Christian life in, in great part is the journey towards realizing that Jesus really is the good Lord of our lives. And the more I yield to his lordship, to his ideas being better than mine, 
to his ways being better than mine, to his values being better than mine, the more I do those things, the more I'm submitting to his lordship. Let me bring you to the New Testament where Paul also gets at the very same thing. And in his indictment, which it is in Romans 1, when he just gives this whole litany of horrible things that we do and are, here's where it starts. He says, even though they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Does that sound like us? It does, right? And what God has against us, the, the charge that he makes, is that we have not done two things that we were responsible to do. What were they? Honor him as God and give thanks. What does God require of us? You go back to Micah, you'll find an explanation of these very things. But in, in Paul's reciting the whole problem that we have as humankind, he says it, it boils down to two things at the beginning, honoring God and giving thanks. Honoring God is about our posture towards God. It's about our bowing the knee to him. It's, a, it's about our adoring him. It's about our seeing him mirrored in his good creation, seeing him mirrored in his good created people. And giving thanks is simply saying, um, I will therefore live this way because I've learned about that from the God whom I admire, whom I worship, and I want to be thankful to that God. So as I, again, think about how to, how to get through difficult times, how to get through challenges in my life, come back to the question, how, how can I worship God in view of this situation, in spite of this situation, or because of this situation? And in what ways can I give thanks? We ought to be the most thankful people, right? And are thankful people anxious people? No, right? When you say thanks to somebody, you're not very likely to be saying it reluctantly. You're saying thanks to the person out of a deep well of joy and gratitude in your heart that makes you say, thank you so much for that. And all of a sudden, as we discover that dynamic, we discover that any anxiety that was around seems to be kind of dissipating in favor of being thankful people. So we, at the very least, ought to begin by worshiping God like we just have done. It ought to bring us great joy and delight to think about God, to think about the Spirit of God, um, to understand who God is through the expression of his Son, to be fascinated by those things, to be meditating on those things, to be talking in, in prayer about those things, to be talking to one another about those things, is the place to start and then to live lives of thankfulness as we understand the power of who God is, what God has done, and the wonderful things that God has yet in store for us. So we're talking about becoming a non-anxious people, being a non-anxious presence. The way that we learn to be non-anxious people is to go back to the very beginning and say we messed up there because we took over. And we will get rid of our anxiety to the degree that we quit um, usurping the place that God longs to have and demands to have in our lives. 
And we tune our lives by thinking about these two responsibilities, to honor that God, no matter what the coming time will be like, uh, no matter how good or how bad it might be, when we bring the peace uh, into our lives of a worshiping attitude towards that God, the God who created us and all that there is around us, and we say, I'm going to live my life in thanks because of that. Just practicing thankfulness alone could be a great experience, right? Suppose just for a week you say, everything that happens, I'm going to find a thank you related to that that happens. Every time I eat at a restaurant, I'm going to thank the server profusely and with a decent tip, right? Because, you know, a good Christian tip is not John 3.16. It's a, it's a good tip, but it's not a good tip, right? But what if we were thankful? Like thankful to the bottom of our hearts and people see that that thankfulness looks like non-anxiousness, which is what they're after, but they're on the wrong track for it uh, because th they started at the wrong place. They started with saying, it's going to be up to me. It's going to be up to us. And the right answer is, it's, it's up to God. It will be up to God. Um, and he is trustworthy. He knows what he's doing. He is bringing his kingdom in the middle of all of this. And God's kingdom, which is coming and already here, uh, we live in the beautiful ambivalence of that understanding that says, yeah, I know. Uh, the future is really murky, as far as I can see. But I know the kingdom of God is coming, and it's already here. And, and whatever is there, the kingdom of God is going to be clearer, larger, more present, and then finally thoroughly here, uh, when we will all bow the knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Can we become non-anxious people? Absolutely, we have all of the ingredients necessary. We have a relationship with God. We have lives that can be lived in light of that relationship, thankful lives, and we can coach one another as we practice our silence and solitude, our Sabbaths, the various other things that we will try to build into the habits of our lives so that when we emerge out of the unending series that we're teaching, um, we will say, okay, yeah, we can quit teaching now because we are not anxious anymore, right? So let us trust together for that. And let me guide you in prayer as we close this thought. Father, we confess that the, the rottenness that is in us is a rottenness about rebelling against you, um, about trying to take over our lives, our families, our jobs, um, our situation, even um, the navigating plan about getting through this gray zone that we find ourselves in. Father, teach us how good you are. Um, give us hearts of thanks and bring peace, joy, rest, delight back to your people as we press through um, farther and farther into uh, the kind of shalom that is the antithesis of the anxiety that comes naturally to us. In Jesus' name, amen.